and welcome back to the just interesting people podcast my name is rosie and i'm here with jeremy who is my husband and co-host and today we are talking to adrian adrian comes back on the show today to talk to us about the evolution of his approach to yoga throughout the years when adrian started yoga about 20 years ago it was all about the physical aspect of the practice learning postures and sequences to get the body moving However, after years deepening his knowledge about yoga, and also after going through personal difficulties in his life, Adrian started to appreciate more and more what yoga could do for his mental health and his overall well-being. Adrian now focuses most of his time to promote this new approach through the Royal Flow School, where yoga can serve under-resourced and underserved communities and become accessible to all of us. Enjoy! Hi Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited for this conversation. Jeremy, you can introduce him properly <laughs> as always. Yeah, thank you Adrian for coming back on the show. This is actually your third time on a podcast. First time on the video YouTube, but third time on the Just Interesting People podcast. So thank you for being back. Thank you guys for having me. I feel like a celebrity on a, a midnight <laughs> talk show or something like that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so the the reason I wanted to bring you back on the show was, well, to have you on YouTube for a start and also to dive into a certain aspect of your life and your story. So for the people who didn't listen to the first two episodes that we did, I'm going to do like a quick, a quick, quick recap. You're from Argentina. You now live in Miami, Florida. You have spent quite a while in New York as well in the US. Uh, you got into yoga about 20 years ago. You became a yoga teacher and in New York and then in Miami. And your practice and your relationship with yoga evolved quite a bit <laughs> for the past 20 years. And out of what I knew from you about yoga before knowing you, and also what I know about yoga from the, media, the classical media and what people say, you, I don't like the word, but like you preach a very different uh, yoga, I like to say. And just also disclaimer that we do work together on the Royal Flow School. So we provide yoga teachings, uh, trainings together and stuff like that. Um, but I think your vision about yoga and also your relationship with mental health and depression and how open you are about, you know, how you feel and stuff happening to you is, is very interesting because uh, you're not you're not shy about sharing your ups and your downs and I think that's you know a strength and and I think it's helping other people also to share about it's like giving permission to other people to share about their feeling through your experience and and I think what you do uh, helps a lot of people and I think just spreading the word is it's one of the good things that we can do so this is why I wanted to have you back on the show thank you Thank you. Yeah, if you can, uh, if you can help at least one person, that is uh, that is a, a mission accomplished. I do think that sometimes I have to remind myself the reach of the work that we do, you and I and Rosie, the three of us, uh, through our trainings and everything. Uh, you know, we're so uh, so used to be in front of a screen that sometimes we don't realize that there are hundreds, if not more, people that they appreciate what we do they need what we do so i try to remind myself quite often that uh, although sometimes it feels isolating and all of us to some extent we're experiencing a little bit of that you know post-covid 
uh, mentality, uh, the classes that we do, the conversations that we have, particularly through these uh, this way through social media, they affect a lot of people. So it's always a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit how you were personally and, and, and physically and everything when you started yoga 20 years ago? And why did you go into your first yoga studio? All right. So <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind, I was 20 pounds lighter, um, <laughs> 20 years younger. But... <laughs> I never, my first uh, experience of yoga wasn't in a yoga studio. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I approached yoga from a different way. Like nowadays, most people, now that yoga became mainstream, they just go to the gym or they go to the yoga studio. When I was, uh, when I was, when I moved to Miami for the first time, I was going to a center, meditation center, and one of the students who was taking classes with me, he happened to be a yoga teacher from Cuba. Of all the places, uh, you know, usually people say, oh, my teacher comes from India. No, my teacher was actually from Cuba. And, <laughs> you know, he learned from another teacher uh, who traveled to Cuba. So my first, my first impression of yoga was a very personal practice. It was him and I doing practice together. No blogs, no yoga mats, no music, no playlists, no yoga studio. The first time that I stepped into a yoga studio was at a local gym here on the beach which I still remember. And it was a completely different experience going with a group. Uh, but my first approach to yoga was very simple, very humble and straight to the point. Yeah. And what was the reason that motivated you to first go on the mat? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way. When I mo moved to to the to the US I had no understanding of what yoga was right. the only thing that I remember what yoga was was something that old people will benefit from because I used to go to a local gym where my brother was the group fitness manager mm -hmm. and once a week they have a, a yoga class and interesting enough my high school uh, history teacher, she will go there if she was older. And I thought, okay, this is what all the old people do. And so that was the only recollection that I have as a young person in Argentina. But when I moved to Miami, you know, for one of those reasons, I ended up getting into meditation, getting into Reiki. So I learned meditation first. I learned Reiki, different holistic types of practices. Some of them we might call them new age. And one of the offerings was yoga. So I said, well, it's on the menu. Why shouldn't I take it, right? You know, I was, a, I was new to the country. So anything that has the potential to reconnect to myself, being in a completely different country and make me feel more grounded and more settled, I thought it was hmm. going to be helpful. So that's why I did it. Um, and so I, I took a lot of classes with this teacher. He was very kind, very sweet. And then one of my friends, he convinced me to go to the gym. And that's when probably I stepped in the first yoga mat. And that was a very interesting experience as well. Mm. But I didn't feel that there was like a call from the very beginning. It's not that I did my first upward dog and 
oh wow this is what i'm gonna do for the rest of my life or yeah no it was kind of a slow steady gradual process and it developed almost around uh, uh, over a year hmm. then after that first year of practice and i started to practice regularly at the local gym i remember that i made the, the conclusion the reflection that oh wow this was the only thing that i've been doing consistent consistently and it's the only thing that I can look back and 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 without any um, doubt uh, confirm that it's something very helpful in, in my life at that age. And so yeah. that was my commitment after one year of kind of exploring the practice. And when you, so after one year of practicing, when you, so you realized that that could be something you could dive into a little bit more. And and when you decided to take your first yoga teacher training, did you jump into the training thinking that could be like a career opportunity for me? Or it was more like out of curiosity to just, again, uh, deepen your practice and your understanding so you could maybe just practice more on your own and stuff like that? Well, let's put it that way. There was at least in my understanding at that time, this is early 2000s, there was not such a thing as a yoga career. Mm. You know, like a full-time yoga teacher. I will never imagine something like that. But going back to your question, the main reason why I signed up to the teacher training was merely to do something for myself. At that time, I was very insecure with my English. And it was more of a personal decision to do something that can help me as I'm, as I am uh, getting familiar with a new country, a new culture, a new language. I didn't want to become a yoga teacher. I think probably till the, till the last day of my teacher training, I didn't want to become a yoga teacher. <laughs> and, and yes, I, I was, I didn't feel that I was ready to teach, uh, it was a very uncomfortable situation that forced me to get out of my comfort zone for three months because it forced me to speak and, and most of the participants were, uh, you know, English speakers. So it was a very, I mean, looking back, it's one of the best decisions that I ever made, but yeah. it wasn't easy at all. It's just when, I mean, and you guys know this, when you don't, belong to a place and you speak a second language and you're young on top of that uh, and you're gay so there's different layers being three months and an intensive teacher training was was uh shocking for my mind and nervous system in a good way uh but yeah i didn't want to teach at all it's interesting also because i feel um 20 years ago and now the the training to be a teacher is quite the same. It's a 200 hour training. Uh, it is a lot. Like it's either something that you do three months intensively, or you can do it more like a little bit longer, like over maybe six months, yeah. thanks to the online world and everything. But it is, it is a commitment, right? It's not something that you just decide I'm, I'm going to do this uh, half an hour a week on, on my evenings and weekend. It is clearly a commitment and jumping into that knowing that you don't want to be a yoga teacher i think is 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 very interesting because i think a lot of people might be 
scared, you know, sometimes to jump into such a, a big, important training, knowing that they yeah. don't have the desire to teach and maybe expecting this is not for me because I don't want to be a teacher. So maybe yeah. this is for other people, but actually you took the training with no intention of teaching. I, yeah. I did the same as well, and I'm still not teaching. So, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good message to say that also, this is a possibility. You can take it with no intention of, of teaching. Well, in my mind, I, I mean, first of all, English was a completely new language. Yeah. I mean, not completely new, but you know what I mean? Just yeah. having only one option to, but it was confusing for me to, as someone who wanted to learn yoga, to have to go through a yoga teacher training. Mm. In my mind, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense these days either. That's why when I, when it comes to our training, I always refer to so yoga training. I mean, I think we have to emphasize that before we even become teachers, we have to become practitioners. And, and so taking the teacher out of the equation makes it much easier. For me, it was confusing having to sign up to a yoga teacher training when I don't want to become a teacher. Hmm. Because learning yoga, doing yoga, practicing yoga, embodying the teachings of yoga doesn't necessarily equal becoming a teacher. Mm. It's different skills. So, yeah, you can be an excellent yogi, but about educator. Yes, and and why are we going to? Why are we portraying that the only way to learn yoga is just to take a yoga teacher training? I mean, the yoga teacher training is a very standardized uh, consumer kind of thing, right? It's like what happened to yoga since it moved from the east to the west try to package it, try to make it accessible is, you know, like when you go and you get your fast food, you pick one, two, three, okay, you pick 200, 300, 500, mm. but we're talking about a thousand years old philosophy. So yeah, the relationship with teacher trainings is complex because it's an industry, it makes a lot of money, but yet on the other hand, we need to acknowledge that yoga is more broad than just 200 hours or two or two weeks in Costa Rica because we were talking about longer trainings, but there's also shorter trainings. Like for someone who doesn't have any understanding of yoga, going to two weeks intensive and complete a 200-hour training, I'm like, how? And again, I can only speak from my experience, but when I was doing my three, my 200 hour, I needed a lot of time to decompress because it was uh, every day. So I cannot imagine the, the two weeks kind of intensive type of training. I don't, I mean, I, I, I finished my 200 hour teacher training and I stepped into the first yoga class and my mind went blank and I didn't remember anything. So yeah. It develops over time. I feel yeah. completely the same because when we did the training last year with Warrior Flow, it was at the weekends. And I remember just being absolutely exhausted. I had to sleep every Monday because I was just like, this is just so much information. So to cram it all into, like you said, a two week thing in Costa Rica or Bali or wherever, it's so yeah. intensive. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, you need to digest it. <laughs> but I'm curious. So I know, obviously, with your training, you do a lot of accessibility, you know, chair yoga, wheelchair yoga, seated, like, it's, there's lots of different ways to make the training accessible. What was it like when you did your training? Was it more physical and kind of like it's all standing poses and yeah. 
there was none of that because I think yeah I guess it's changed over the past 20 years and more people are getting into yoga and the more popular it becomes the more other types of people with different abilities and different body sizes and different backgrounds want to also practice so I guess it's changed over the 20 years yeah yeah I mean yoga is very pliable in that sense in my experience when I started teaching uh teaching or actually practicing the studio was mainly based into power yoga and so that's the first connection that I had to yoga and I was doing a lot of that and uh, and that was the yoga that I learned but when I compared the teacher training that I did back then to the teacher training that we did last year or the ones that we're doing now it's so much difference because there's more uh, there's a different awareness what I learned was just a sequence of postures uh, a bunch of adjustments a little bit of theory here and there and then just go mm. because the mentality back then it was okay you want to become a teacher just learn the sequence practice and then you're a teacher the reality is that over the ne- over the last 20 years, if no more, things have changed tremendously. First, from uh, from yoga becoming even more mainstream, and also more people being interested on on the practice, more research being done in the practice, having celebrities doing yoga, and so we're in a very peculiar and interesting time to for the world. A large but in the context of yoga there's there's more people that that want to be represented in the world of yoga there are more voices so when I became a yoga teacher and I became a comfort I was comfortable in my skin it was we it was it was still that era of uh, yoga rock stars, you know, if you're a yoga teacher, right, you're successful, you're like, your attitude and your ego and all of that. But I think there's a lot of things, you know, what we went through over the last few years has forced people to slow down and the mental health challenges that we are all experiencing right now uh, collectively, it also makes us approach the practice in a different way and so yeah my teacher training comparing to what we're offering is day and night Mm -hmm. i felt more overwhelmed doing my 200 hour teacher training for the intensity of the practice rather than the intensity of the theory and Mm -hmm. the text and the bhagavad-gita and the sutras I, i never clicked with the yogic text, Bhagavad Gita, Yoga Sutras, Patanjali. I have my own philosophy and I always lean more into Buddhism. So for me, all the theory was kind of, at that time, useless. But because it was a power yoga teacher training, it was very intense in my body. And we know that when you start to practice every day, your body goes through a rapid change and you get sore and you keep practicing. So I was very tired physically. And unlike the training that you two took last year and the one that we're running this year, there's so much more content in a sense of the world has changed. You know, there is so much awareness of uh, being different, so much awareness of 
how can we make the practice more accessible, inclusive. And there are so many other groups of people who they didn't belong to the yoga community of 20 years ago. And so luckily we're at a time and space where more people can practice yoga and yoga can move outside of the yoga studio and reach out to other places, which is what we do uh, through our school. And so, yes, uh, in my experience at the very beginning, yoga was something that you do on the gym, more like a hobby type of thing. Um, something that was very helpful for stress reduction and to keep your body moving and sweating. And it was a practice that without, without knowing necessarily why, it will make people feel more connected to something more relevant other than the ordinary activities on every day. And so I taught many, many years with that in mind. Just, this is mm -hmm. yoga, you know, it helps people to relax, sweat, to get a good workout. Uh, it wasn't so much later than I did a, a, a shift in that approach. Yeah, so this is where I was going, because it's interesting, because you, for like a lot of years, you taught in, my, in, in New York, sorry, uh, running around from a studio to another, teaching 20 plus hours a week. Uh, so it was a physical teaching and also a very exhausting job for you on the side. Mm -hmm. um, so it must have been very draining, and I feel it's kind of the polar opposite of what I would expect yoga should be. You know, like when if you ask mm -hmm. a random person in the street what yoga is, you know, they, they, they think about someone on a lotus pose, just like doing some stretches floating. And, and floating or whatever. Um, but for years, the business of yoga has been uh, a physical practice and maybe for yoga teachers and yoga studio, something also very intense to run around from a class to another and to teach, 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 teach. Quite the opposite of the Buddhist monk that you would expect doing yoga in the morning whenever, yeah. when he gets, he wake up, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I try not to say you should or should not, but you know, the reality is that we all know that whatever skill we have, whatever gift we have, we're usually giving it to everyone else. and we don't do much for self-care. You know, as much as we want to say we do, we do take care of, of ourselves. It's, it's always challenging just to take care of yourself. Um, and again, we come to that difference between being a yogi than a yoga teacher. Mm. Ideally, you're both. But a lot of people are just yoga teachers in the same way that there could be Pilates teachers in the same way that they could be uh, anything else. So, you know, yoga can be so many different things for different people, but um, yeah, for me it was very physical at the beginning. I didn't connect to the theory of it. Um, and, and, and yeah, I had burned out multiple times in New York and Miami, and I learned the hard way on how, how to, how to, embody the teachings instead mm. of just preaching the, the teachings yeah if that makes sense 
Yeah. You mentioned there was a switch where you went from having like the physical practice to then it being something different. And I guess that's probably where you started doing accessibility and things like that. What was the switch? Yeah. What happened where you started to realize actually this could be for other people rather than super fit, like flexible, whatever people that go to yoga studios? What what made the change into thinking, well, this could also benefit people in prisons, in hospitals, in schools, in women's shelters and all that like when where did that come from yeah i i cannot i cannot just point to one specific thing but i can share that um since i moved back and forth from miami to new york there's completely different demographics so when you mm. come from new york and you're teaching a kind of a fast-paced type of yoga and then i end up coming to miami for me miami always felt like 20 years going back in time so I'll, on, the, on the early 2000s, I felt like I was on the 80s in Miami. And the same, <laughs> same happens now. Every time that I go to New York, I say, okay, this is real time. And when you come <laughs> to Miami, this is going in slow motion. And the same thing I experienced, I explored through the yoga practice. You know, I was having students coming to my practice, to my classes that they were not necessarily as into the physical practice as my other students were. And also I noticed at some point there was a slowing, an internal slowing down on my end because I got tired. I was bored with the practice. You know, when you teach a lot of classes and it's your full-time job to keep things fresh, you have to do a lot of, it takes a lot of effort. So I guess that also, it kind of opened my mind to try different things. I started to learn different trainings, different approaches to yoga. And more recently, when I was diagnosed with depression, that was another thing that, that kind of made me look at things differently. And so I remember kind of looking at my practice back then and said, nothing that is, there's nothing on my practice right now that can take me out of the hole that I am right now. So at that moment, the practice to me was useless. And it's not that the practice is useless, but the approach that I was having to the practice was useless. And then, uh, and then going through that and going through grief and going through loss then makes you appreciate the practice for for the other gifts besides getting a good workout, a good stretch, or feeling or feeling relaxed. I think that for a lot of people, the ultimate goal of going to a yoga class is just to relax. And that's the end of the story. And for me, that's the beginning of the story. Because... You need to relax so then you can actually reflect and mm. and take action. And so I always find that that thing like I'm not here just to deliver a one hour class. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a massage therapist that you come and give you a good massage and then you go and it was a transactional thing. Although I am a massage therapist and I love doing that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I always felt that the the yoga experience package that we've been selling of 60-minute class format. It is a very uh, American, for lack of better words, packaging and experience. We try to bottle everything, right? Just make it nice so you can buy and you can consume. And so when you spend years of your life just teaching and teaching, you, you naturally want to do something else. Uh, 
at the very beginning of my path was perfectly fine. I was an immigrant. I was just finding my way around in the country. A door opens. Hello, yoga. I'm going to just dive 100% and, and do my best. Mm. But over the years, you know, if you like to, if you like to stay connected to the practice, and if you like to continue to be a teacher, you cannot be the same teacher that you were 20 years ago. And there are cases like that. that I take a class from a teacher from 15 years ago, and I can tell, I can tell what year this teacher did the teacher training based on the cues that they're mm-hmm. using. You know. You go through waves of, of yoga. Okay, this culture became very popular in 2005, and everyone was doing that in New York. Right. And then there's teachers that I, 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 I hear teaching or take classes online or in person, and I'm like, okay, someone got stuck in time. And so I'm completely the opposite. I, I, I hate being stuck. I hate leaning into repetition, into um, ordinary things. And there's nothing wrong with having a, a full-time job whether that's yoga or not but for me and my experience i like to mutate i like to adapt and it's it's also interesting when we're talking about a practice that has as, as a one of the main components physicality to it because if you work in an office yeah you, you will notice that you're not as comfortable on your back when you were 30 seated for five hours that when you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. But when it comes to yoga, the changes are, uh, there are there are more on your face, uh, the changes that you go through your body. Your body is the vehicle from which you share the practice and your body is the vehicle from which you pay your bills if you're a full-time yoga teacher. So the relationship with your body changes. You know, when you get to 30s, it's not the same thing. When you get to 40s, it's not the same thing. And also the amount of teaching that you do. On my peak, I was teaching more than 30 classes. And now I teach one class a day and I'm exhausted. Mm. Uh, so, so yes, I mean, that, that was my experience at least. It had, it had to evolve in order for me to be where I am right now. And mm. is due to my life experiences that let me rephrase that. My life experiences are what shape my yoga as it is today. Yeah. And most of those experiences, there were life experiences that we all go through. Uh, that's what yeah. motivated me to, or inspired me to say, okay, I had to make a, a sharp turn right here. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the, at the time when you went through a difficult difficult time and when you were diagnosed with depression and when you went through through grief that your practice at the time the approach that you had about the practice was useless and you had to change the approach to make it more suited to what you needed at this time because you mm-hmm. because after this experience you were a different person and you had different need and that, that's that's a very interesting and it's, it's a very subtle change but also it requires self-awareness to realize that where you are and what you're doing with the, the practice which is just a tool ultimately and and to be able to implement the switch in your life uh, it, it requires a lot of awareness i feel to be able to to adjust that 
let's put it this way: when you're going through, uh, I mean, let's use depression because that's what we're, what I went through. But it could be so many other different things, you know. And if you're a teacher of vinyasa and power yoga and you're going through depression, you're naturally done. You're not going to feel like I, I want to teach a power vinyasa yoga class or for forget about being a teacher. If you're someone who's experiencing depression rarely you'll feel like taking a power yoga class you barely will make it from the couch to the bed yeah you don't want to get out of bed usually so correct so for me that was like okay and that's what i think also i started to slow down and become more mindful that uh maybe i was using yoga in the same way that some people use other things as coping mechanisms mm. For me, maybe yoga at that time was the way that I was presenting to the world, but mm. there was not an internal connection. And that internal connection came after going through those experiences. And in my experience, it, it, it had to be connected to slowing down and reflecting to where I, where I was at that moment. And once you make that reflection, uh, what do you do with it? Do you keep it to yourself? For me, it was like a big aha moment. Like, okay, so I'm going through depression. I'm a teacher. Um, it's not that I'm a failure from going through mental health challenges, but that's what I'm going through. I'm not a failure because I'm going through grief or loss. Those are normal stages in someone's life. I mean, we all know that we're here from a, a specific amount of time. So I guess those life experiences that, and that reflecting back of, of your yoga. And and then you make the decision, okay, is this something that I'm doing as a, as a, a practice? And I'm not referring as a yoga practice, but as a life practice, or this is just my workout. Mm. Mm. So that for me was a, a big aha moment. And each, each of us has a different journey, but when, when you realize that what you're doing and what you're teaching and what you're offering it's only accessible it's only available it's a better word to certain people because they have certain stat status or certain skin color then you cannot look back the other way and there's nothing wrong with just being white or having a lot of money but for me that was a big big moment reminding that I was teaching in New York and I was teaching in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the, in the country, if not the world. Mm. And, and nonetheless, I was looking other ways of sharing that with everyone. So yeah, I think that once your mind opens up at a level, which I think that is exactly what's happening to, to all of us in present time right now, there's a, there's more awareness of our differences yeah. with intention of creating more uh, unity. But back then, there was no, nothing like that. There was no social justice. There was no uh, Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. That didn't exist back then. Yeah, and this is also that that is good transition because th that was a question that I had in mind. Is back then also mental health was kind of a taboo uh, having any sort of i feel mental health challenges was seen probably as a weakness from like a societal point of view yeah. and, and and also i mean and by i i mean like no offense by saying like most of the time also we have this image of like 
Latin people, you know, like culturally speaking, the Latin culture is quite uh, men on men, right? We're strong, we're there, we don't mm -hmm. cry, we do stuff like that. So there's also uh, this cultural background coming. Um, what, where did you find the courage to um, be okay with not being okay and to also speak about it publicly and to open about it? About it? Like where, how, how did you find the, the strength to do that? Um, well, when you realize that you touch, they, when you touch bottom, you know, there's no other place that you can go when you're at your worst, there's nothing else that you can do. So if I'm going through a very difficult time where I can barely function, you know, that's my reality. So you have to acknowledge that. So why, why are you going to put a facade of someone that you're someone who It's not you. Like, I think once I kind of took, took two weeks off just to kind of clear my mind and try to, uh, you know, get out of that state that I was. But if you don't, I mean, I, I feel that, again, going back to the same thing, if you're a yoga teacher or Pilates teacher, you need to show up to deliver an experience. In the other hand, if you're using or if you're embodying the teachings, you're more than just a teacher. You're a, a walking encyclopedia of yoga, or at least mm -hmm. that's what we should strive to be. And so for me, it was, for me, if someone like me who's been practicing yoga for 20 years, and for someone like me that's been teaching more than anyone else of my age, uh, I was going through that then I was in a position of having uh, access to yoga classes, studios, free memberships, you name it, connections. And if someone like me that has this advantage is experiencing this, imagine someone else who doesn't have all those things at the palms of their hands. So, You know, there's a moment where you have to come up, come up clean and say, okay, this is the reality. And in my mind, I never, I never, let me rephrase that. You know, when you take a class and you see that a yoga teacher kind of, I don't want to say that they're acting, but there's like, okay, now I'm teaching, now I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there was never that transition. For me, it was always, this is me. I'm going to show up and I'm going to teach. I don't think that I'm a completely different person when I'm not teaching. For me, teaching was another aspect of the practice. Um, mm. And so, and the reason why I'm saying this is because my mentality and my body and my teaching is so connected to where I am in my life there was no other outcome that uh, adapting my practices my my mm -hmm. teaching to where I was in my life mm -hmm. and again yeah. this is not the same experience for everyone some people love to teach yoga and they can teach a beautiful yoga class that is completely detached for whatever they're going through For me, I don't have that uh, ability. I'm more, I'm, I guess, more empathetic. And, yeah. and so 
And I also, because I relocated a few times, I went through the, the experience of, you know, having hundreds of people coming to your classes and then starting again, mm. moving again, moving back, moving again. So you know that, you know, people come and go, teachers come and go, students come and go, and they still love you and you still love them. And so there's nothing wrong with changing. I feel like sometimes there, there's this, going back to the taboo, to mental health and yoga and everything, it's like, I remember people saying, oh, but your, your teaching is not the same that it was five years ago. Or, or someone a few months ago asked me, hey, can you send me the playlist that you used to play in the early 2000s? Jeez. No, <laughs> no. So just look for drums. And I was playing drums in all my classes. Um, and also people get old. Your students get old in the same way that you do. Yeah. So I guess, you know, for each person it's different. But for me, there was no other way that to stay, to stay connected to the practice as a teacher other than changing. You mentioned... I know you're about to say something, but you mentioned earlier about how you can tell when somebody did their teacher training because they're stuck in like 2005. And mm. something I know about you that's very um, admirable and inspiring, like interesting is that you'd love to take lots of different trainings. And I know that you're trained in like a hundred different things. And like you were just talking about changing and your classes are changing, you know, yeah. from last year, they'll probably change from five years ago, from 10 years ago. Why do you think it's so important to keep taking trainings, to keep educating yourself and to keep changing and growing as a teacher and also as a person? Why is that important to you? I guess we can ask why it's important for science to keep evolving. Why is it important to keep researching for cancer? Why is it important to come up with a COVID vaccine? You know, because we are not, uh, we are beings that were here just for a certain amount of time and we're evolving from the moment that we are born, we're growing up, we become adults, then we begin to age. And so everything is moving, everything is shifting, everything is a mystery too. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what we're going after. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And so why are we approaching the yoga practice as if the yoga practice is set in stone? Why are we approaching that hour that we take in the gym as this is it? This comes from uh, this person in India and we cannot change that. Well, that person in India is already gone hundreds of years ago. What are the needs that we have right now? How can we help right now? You know, ten years. I mean, three years ago, we never, we never thought about COVID. Three years yeah. ago, we never thought about all the crazy things that happened. Mm. And going back to what Jeremy was saying earlier about mental health, maybe three years ago or five years ago, the connection between yoga and mental health wasn't as as clear. Mm. I don't remember any anything of yoga related to mental health when I first started, and now it's everywhere because science. And that natural instinct and tendency of humans wanting to learn and grow is putting in basically in our face that when you get to the body, when you get to the breath, you're actually tapping into your nervous system and you're actually uh, reshaping your nervous system and the way you think. 
So that's why you see and, uh, so much going on between mental health and yoga, so many therapists in yoga, so many yogis trying to become therapists. And we were therapists in the first place. And again, no disrespect to people who are on the field as mental health therapists, but for a lot of people for many years going to yoga class was the therapy. Yeah. You know, you get a release, you get to move, and we know that when you move the body, you can release tension. So, yeah, it's an interesting topic. I, I think I don't like to feel stuck. I don't like to repeat myself. I don't like to. I always, when I, even the days that I was teaching four classes, I will teach those four classes completely different and maybe change the playlist, maybe change the sequence a little bit. But that's, I mean, that's probably more of my personality but i do think mm. that and i want to go back to the same thing the physicality of the practice um, they don't go back five thousand years ago we're talking about less than 200 years ago so i don't think we should take anything when it comes to the physicality of the practice too seriously, because mm -hmm. as we know, mm -hmm. there's so many, uh, so many new types of yoga and slow flow, yin yoga, power, Bikram, and they will keep coming because yoga is everything or everything to be considered yoga for the good or for the worst. Uh, so I think changes in, it's in the nature of you. It's also human nature. I mean, if you think about where we came from, like, had we not evolved however many thousands of years ago, we wouldn't, yeah. you know, be traveling yeah, around the world and have internet and all these different things. Like, it's just human nature to evolve and to want to improve and grow and learn more. Yeah, and... it's interesting because as, as human also, we are meant to evolve and we've been evolving for years and changing. But also right now as a society, a lot of people are terrified by change because they're terrified by the uncertainty that a change is gonna uh, is gonna cause. And I always like every time we talk about change in my head, I have this picture that I keep seeing on Instagram once in a while of like two people talking and someone saying to the other one, "Oh, you've changed." And the other person is thinking, like, yeah, we're supposed to, you know? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I always have this image. I always find it like so true it's so basic but i think it's so true how we are terrified to change but also we meant to and staying stagnant yeah. like you said before well first it's not fun right i mean some people like it i guess that's more like a personality trait but, but also we meant to evolve as human beings and stuff like that otherwise if you if if, if you remain stagnant you you, you usually yeah. go down so it's also a requirement that makes me think of two things uh one is uh, understanding that there is that fear, but everyone was forced to change. There's no one person in the planet who hasn't been forced to change over the last few years. So we currently live in a place where everyone is freaking out because everything that has happened, and again, we tend to be very uh, pragmatical about, oh, this is over, flip the page, move on. And it's not like that. Mm. 
there's a lot of struggle there's a lot of suffering that a lot continues to happen in the world as it is right now and so those processes that are happening internally they keep showing up and so the needs of your students probably are completely different than the needs of your students pre-pandemic and so when everyone talks about the great resignation and all that stuff people don't caring about this and that whether you believe or not on that there's a big shift happening and so it's not just a cultural shift it's a, a consciousness shift a large happening so how do you how do you do adapt to that I mean, you have no other option, mm. you know? Yeah. And if you think about it, how we as a society were an interesting trait about being human, how we normalize even the things that we've never thought about before, how we ended up normalizing a pandemic. You know, now everyone knows that there is a pandemic and we continue with our lives as we should, but we have that tremendous potential of growing and adapting. Okay, this mm. is a pandemic. Okay, this climate change. You know, we need to do something. And so those challenges keep you going. And I think you have to take those challenges as fuel just to continue learning and exploring, going back to that same topic. And, and, and not seeing the practice of yoga as the main object or the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is not having a perfect practice. The practice is just a tool Hmm. to take you somewhere or to help you with something. And I think that many times we give it too much importance that we get confused about what are we doing it on the first in the first place i'm curious when you made this transition like because when you think about it and i know it was it was not like sudden it, it was gradual but you went from teaching to pretty like very easily very wealthy people in one of the wealthiest place in the world being Manhattan, like in New York City, in where I don't, I don't even know how much a class costs, you know, over there, the stuff like that. You went from now to a few years later, teaching in prison, shelters, um, hospitals, and, and stuff like that. You know, when you think about <laughs> career uh, advice, right? So, so someone would think like, wait, wait a minute, from like, a, you went from this place where you people were paying you a lot of money to like teaching people that have no have no money to give you for what you do um but also i know that what you receive from the experience is much more valuable than the money but but can you tell us a little bit about this dynamic you know because i think a few people must be thinking like how how can you do this shift you know like i like the intention but how can you actually execute on it yeah, so there's many layers to that. First, uh, I think that when you teach a lot of the classes and you become aware that you're going through struggles, your students are going through struggle, and you also begin to embody the practice and you know the potential of the practice. And 
you become more aware of the pain that a lot of people go through, the suffering that you will go through from life experiences, from loss, from grief. It depends. It's up to you. How do you process that grief? How do you process the uncertainty? How do you process the fear, the anticipation, the anxiety? And in the same way that before going live, I was driving you crazy, touching every, everything on the screen. I, that's my nature. So for me, it's easier to, I, can, I don't like to waste time. So this is what happened. Let me dive in head on and see what's going on. And so for me, when I notice, okay, everything is in a way kind of worse than I thought, becoming an adult is not easy. So I became an adult with a practice. Adulthood is not easy. And so it makes you more aware that a lot of people are going through a lot of shit. And it also, I guess, in, in a way, I realized that as much as I love my students uh, and they still take my classes, it's not that I stopped seeing them or anything like that. As much as I love them, I didn't want, I didn't want to be 20 years from that time. I, I couldn't picture myself doing exactly the same thing. Mm. It had to be bigger. It had to be, had to have more reach, more depth, more, more flavor. And I don't know if that is a combination of ambition and, and, or just trying to be Mother Teresa or a little bit of both, but that was my nature. So I, I, uh, as yoga became more and more popular, as Instagram became more and more disgusting and Facebook became obsolete and politics got into social media, I was like, okay, let me just take a step back from it. And how can I stay connected to the practice, but from a point of view where, from a point where I don't get so much affected by it. And so starting to work for nonprofits was the first door for me. It's like, okay, I can do yoga without having to get paid. Because hmm. for me, it was a need. I need to get paid. And so it was a very interesting for me for the first time after maybe 15 years of practice and just finally giving giving just for the pleasure of giving without expecting to get paid and so there's a thin line when you're a yoga teacher which doesn't mean that you're a yogi but when you're both then you'll have that struggle as some point and so luckily i was in a position where i could for a while keep keep both of them let's say the normal role of the yoga teacher and also start diving into this uh, unknown territory. And that was very appealing to me. I was very curious about it. I was very, uh, uh, very curious about learning about mental health. And if my mental health was a mess, imagine the mental health of someone in a homeless shelter. Imagine the mental health of someone in jails or kids. So I became more in tune. I became less self-centered, less, less about me. And I, no, I'm not saying that. Again, that that's me most of the time. But I have a, I want to believe that I have a, a, a better understanding of what my role is, 
in the world compared to when I was 20s or 30s. Yeah, you, you, you need a level of empathy and compassion to be able to do uh, the, the, the kind of, to provide the services that you, you provide. And um, is that something that, have you always been, I didn't know you younger, have you always been like, a, would you say a compassionate person uh, attached to emotion and stuff like that? Or is that something that just, that you learned that came through the years? No, I was a selfish little piece of, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Interesting. Not at all. Because I, I, for some reason, I know a lot of things can be learned in life, but um, I don't think about myself as a compassionate person, for example, and I do struggle. I don't know if that's a skill that you can learn. You can improve things, but I don't know if that's a skill that you can learn and become a compassionate person. So that's why I'm asking, because I would imagine that you, I don't know, Rosie's just born this way, I feel like. She's always like <laughs> compassionate and very empathetic to people. And I feel like that's more like a DNA trait, you know, than something yeah. that you acquire through times, which is why yeah. I'm asking. I, I don't know. I, I like, I found it easier at this stage just to see the good in people instead of seeing the bad in people. I more than ever given second, third chances. That's my nature right now. Mm. I've always been very inclined to things that are fair. And whenever there was an injustice, I was always would be the first one to speak up, whether that was affecting me or affecting someone else. But in terms of compassion, it's a more uh, it's a, a more difficult concept to understand because we everything in society tells you to take care of yourself. Everything in society is about me, 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 me. And empathy is basically being able to feel what other person is feeling. And so. In my experience, I tend to think that you develop, it's something that, it's like a flower. The flower doesn't blossom a day earlier or a day late. It blossoms at the right time. And so we cannot think of empathy and these qualities as, okay, it has to happen here because I'm doing this training in empathy. Oh, it has to happen here because my class is all about compassion. That goes hand in hand with who you are, with your upbringing, but ultimately I think no matter what you go through as life experiences in your childhood, and as you grow up, as you become an adult and you start to seeing that, you know, you start to make it to reflect. Like I look back and I say, oh wow, I spent Probably I spent already more than half of my life already as a human. So I'm already entering my second half. So those things make you think. Uh, for me, when I, I for different reasons, I saw some of my students when they were uh, on their dying days, some of my clients, my mother, and, and I was the person who was there. Like I remember one of my clients in New York and I love her dearly and and I will go two or three times to work with her. Uh, she deteriorate, deteriorated very quickly and 
she that her family called me and said she wants to see you. And so I went there knowing that I couldn't do yoga. She just wanted to be with me. She couldn't speak. I just sat next to her and pulled her in. I remember kind of, you know, this is New York, a very wealthy family, a beautiful apartment overlooking Central Park. I remember lifting her, just carrying her like on my arms, just to take her to the balcony so she can take a look at the view. And then what that has to do with being a yoga teacher. So I was presented with these opportunities of witnessing people at their later years, uh, people going through difficult situations, medical situations, having to be in the hospital and feel very inadequate about, okay, what is my role? How come that I'm the, the yogi who's supposed to be able to be very calm and relaxed and nonetheless I'm in the hospital with a body in, on the bed and I don't know what to do. And I was kind of paralyzed with fear should I touch? Should I stay? What should I say? What should I say? So there, I tend to think that there was kind of a preparation into that, ultimately leading to my being the main caregiver for my for my moms. Uh, and so all those experiences kind of they're really tough, but at the same time they kind of soften you. Mm. And with the softening comes the empathy because you realize, oh. She's going through that. I'm witnessing that. And if she's going through that, and I'm going through that, and then Kim's going to go through that, then the entire world is going through something. So I think that it's uh, something that comes with time. It might not come to everyone. I do think it's both. Something that you're born with, like Rossi, but it's also something that if you want to develop, it's there's enough resources in there, free, on Google and YouTube, and on your own life to develop compassion, empathy, kindness. Because the other side of it is not as, I mean, what's the other option? I mean, the, the other option kind of sucks. You don't want to be a, yeah. a jackass in your life. Yeah. So it's a very personal question, but again, how much of the teachings are you embodying? How much of a larger picture you have? Are your micro or your or your macro? You know, what type of lens are you using? And so life experiences will expand your lens. And so that's for me. I felt more. It felt. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but it felt more truthful to be in the shelter, hmm. to be at the jail to be at the hospice. It felt more truthful to what I was going through in my life at the time. Not because, oh, I want to save the world or anything like that. Um, and that was the way that I was dealing for my own loss and grief as well. So it's being connected to that in a way. And then I didn't want to look back. I didn't want to look back. I stepped down from my full-time job as a yoga teacher for this company, I was teaching 15 classes a week. That was my paycheck. Basically, I went from that to a full-time job in a shelter. People were like, wow. Mm. And, I, and I love that. 
the fact that people look at me and they're, and they're completely disoriented about what the that is happening. And it has happened many times. Hmm. And, you know, and you know, people are thinking, oh my God, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And he bounces back. He comes up with something else or he approaches things in a different way. And I like to remind, to remind people that they can do that too. Also, I guess, from my 20s, I just left my, my family. So I've been by myself. I, I've been a hustler since I'm 20, basically. So it's a different mentality. But yeah, I think that you don't... Uh, you don't take as much advantage of the benefit of being alive if you don't mindfully test what your boundaries are. Hmm. It's like a muscle. If I don't lift weights every day, my muscles won't get stronger. If I don't practice kindness and empathy every day, I will never have that as a, a default quality of my system and my body. And so I, I lie that I think that people, including myself, would take life too seriously and life is supposed to, I want to believe that life is not supposed to be taken so seriously, but to do whatever you can to be, to enjoy the ride. And if you have the opportunity to, to make the ride more enjoyable for others, just do it. I think ultimately that is the main reason why I'm teaching. I'm not so attached to the practice as I was before because I know it's not about the practice, but about the intention. The practice is providing a medium, mm. a vehicle for something. And it's up to you to decide what that something is. So, yeah, I don't know where we started, but that's where we ended. Good answer. Yeah. and. I had another question, but don't even want to ask it because I think that's a personal way, honestly, I think to finish the episode, because <laughs> uh, I think you, the, the way you, you've been summarizing everything in your last words uh, were on point and I don't want to add anything on that, to be honest. Uh, so thank you for your time, Adrian. We truly appreciate it. And, and your, your vision had an impact on us, obviously, mm. uh, through meeting you in Miami and through the training and through spending many, many hours chatting with you uh, during the week. And and it's just very refreshing to see, like we said before, like just another way uh, about things that we think are, should be or could be this way. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's a learning experience. And, and yeah, this experience has had a huge, a huge impact. So thank you about that. And, uh, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Um, we got one last question. No, I think we never we asked you. That, oh. I know you two don't want to talk about the training, but I feel like we need to talk about the training. <laughs> you're you're doing a 200, yeah, you're doing a 200 hour online training. It's all about accessible yoga, helping spreading yoga for everybody. Can you talk briefly two minutes? I know you don't want to, but I feel like oh, no, we I, could do I a little bit of for... self-plugging. Jeremy knows I can talk for hours. I think, you know, more than... Okay, everyone, listen, we're going to promote our training, but let me give you something more more uh, interesting than the training itself, which is how the training came to to 
to be a reality. I remember reaching out to Jeremy and saying, hey, can we do, do you feel that we can do a, <laughs> an online workshop for an hour and just try to explore the online world? Everyone is doing things online. And then all of a sudden we ended up with a, with a groundbreaking <laughs> 200-hour teacher training that no one has done before, accessible, adaptive, trauma-informed. we done something that I don't, maybe someone has done it, but we, we created a training with a, an amazing faculty of professionals from different fields, neuroscientists, nurses, doctors, uh, school teachers, social workers, physical therapists, we put, and I guess this goes along with our conversation, things are changing. You cannot expect the practice to be exactly the same thing that it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Science is real, right? And so the fact that we can provide a teacher training with, with an amazing faculty of professionals, authors, and TED speakers, uh, and bring a more contemporary and down-to-earth approach to yoga without uh, without stripping yoga from its roots. I think it's something quite amazing and put it in online. And going back to another point that we took in the conversation, putting a teacher uh, yoga training, that it's not necessarily for you to become a teacher. You could if you want to. But how wonderful it is that we live in a time where younger but also adult and older people are interested in learning these type of practices for self-awareness, for to become volunteers. And so the program that we put together, the 200-hour teacher training, is quite unique and I don't think everything I think everything happens for a reason the fact that we can now with this with this training at the very end of the hopefully at the very end of the pandemic and it's such an impact it's such an emphasis on mental health I mean timing and timing is everything Mm. so you know I believe that people will will appreciate yoga more and more and more and the more subtle aspects of the practice and all the work that I've done in the hospitals and the shelters, which I'm not doing as much these days, but allows me to be able to offer the teaching that we're, that we're offering right now, which is a more, uh, I think, a more a uh, realistic approach to yoga and life in general. Because hmm. those, none of us learn these things in school. Nobody teaches you about compassion, at least for me. Nobody, I went to church, Catholic church, but I never, I never talk about compassion and things like that. So the fact that we're learning in a way that that is empowering for our students to go out into the world and continue to give in that because the training is rooted in community and, and um, outreach. I think that's quite powerful and quite revolutionary in a way, just being online. The fact that we were able to pull out this 
amazing faculty and we continue to expand our faculty even today which is confirm new speakers uh, i'm actually no longer seeing it as a yoga training I, I don't know what the name yeah. is but i'm already in my mind i know that there's something else this is yeah there's so much more to it it's like a life i don't know i don't like to say life coaching or anything like that because <laughs> i honestly i even thought that last year during hours i was like it's so much more than a yoga training like yeah okay we learned about where yoga came from we learned about the poses but you also had so many different conversations that like it's not what i remember correct. it was just like <laughs> yeah. yeah like yeah okay the yoga pose is fine but like there was so much more that we learned about like social yeah. justice about yeah. so many different things and it was so incredible that like i mean we just learned so much from it so thank you for talking about that because i know that Jeremy was yeah. like, we're not going to talk about it, but I think it's important <laughs> too, because I think it's important that people know that that is yeah. available to them. You offer scholarships and yeah. early bird discounts and yeah. things like that. So if you, you know, if anybody's interested in doing a yoga training, we will leave the link in the bio and in the description box. Yeah. Jeremy's looking at me like, Rosie, <laughs> told you not to do this. But anyway, wow. the last question that we had was... Yeah, I think we never asked it to you. Yeah, I don't think we ever asked him. No. I'd be interested for the reply. Yeah. So if you could have a conversation with anybody dead or alive, famous or not, who you think would be like the most interesting person in your eyes, who would you, who would you pick and, and why? A few moments later. I always felt very connected to, um, and I guess that's why we have it in our suggested readings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The the author of Autobiography of a Yogi, which is one of those books that we want our students to read in every training. So if I remember correctly, he, he passed away um, in the 50s, 1950s, but I became very in tune with his teachings. Until this day, I feel a very strong connection to him. So yeah, definitely if there's a person that I could sit down and have a conversation it would be him uh, because it has been a, a source of inspiration over the years at different times of my life. You know, it's not like, okay, mm -hmm. you like this band because you're 20 and then in your 30s you like a different style of music. <laughs> he has proven to me to be an anchor in my 20s, from my 30s, to my 40s. Yeah, that would be the mm. one. Uh, for anyone who's interested to learn more about him, we can read the book, Autobiography of a Yogi. You might find a free version online. And there's also a documentary that was released a few years back called Awake. Uh, but yeah, he would be a very interesting person to sit down. Anybody not yogi? I'm curious where, you, where your brain would go outside of the yoga world. A few minutes later. Probably. Someone in the, the field of social justice. Hmm. Someone who has done a lot of kind of Martin Luther King, hmm. Gandhi. They're kind of yogis in a way, right? If you think about it, they're yogis. They're not our yoga yogis, but they're yogis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, probably uh, someone from that era 
like Martin mm. Luther King probably would be a very interesting one. Yeah. Thank you. That's Thank why I love guys. asking that question because you always get so many different answers. Yeah. Like everybody, I think pretty much everyone said someone different. So pretty much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adrian, for your time. It's been wonderful talking to you as always. It always is. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. Thank you for doing the program. Thank you for everything that you're doing. You're amazing. We love you so much. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank and yeah, thank for... you. We will leave all your contact in the show notes so people can reach out to you. And yeah. We will be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode as usual. Bye-bye. Yeah, and let me know when I come back again. Yes, anytime. <laughs> You're always welcome. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.